One of the problems facing US and many other countries around the world is the problem of high interest loans or predatory loans, also known as payday loans from loan sharks, which even charge up to 300 or more percent per year and trap people in debt. And this is a problem that Zyvo Finance wants to solve. So that's why I have invited today Thor Abbasi and John Quanstrom from Zyvo Finance to talk about how they plan to solve this problem and what they're doing about it. In this wide ranging conversation, we also talk about things such as regenerative finance and MEVs, flashbots, and how to end this practice of payday loans or or how to liberate people from this, how to tackle ESG while creating ability to give people credit. We also talk about things such as what are their 2023 predictions and what is going to be the next killer app that brings more people into Web3. We talk about these things and so much more. So if you are interested in the future of finance and this episode is for you. Finally, I do not monetize my podcast by running ads. So I have only one small favor to ask and that is please leave a review for this on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you are listening and share this episode with a friend so that we can spread the knowledge and liberate more people so that we can educate more people about the future of finance, the future of tech, and the future of Web3. Hello, innovators, explorers, and risk takers. Welcome to another episode of the Web3 with Sam Kamani podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani. I am an Amazon best-selling author, a tech startup founder, and a strategic advisor to multiple Web3 startups. I'm here to take you on a journey to explore the world of Web3, all the risks, all the opportunities. And my goal is to educate you about what other people, the founders, the investors, what are they building? What are they paying attention? So you can take advantage of it so you can benefit from it. However, I would like to start with saying that this is not investment advice. I would still highly encourage you to do your own research. I have nothing to sell you. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. So Thor and John, it's great to have you on the show. My first question is for both of you. And that is, can you please tell me a bit about Zero Finance and what does Zero Finance do? Yeah, for sure. First of all, thank you very much for having us on, Sam. My name is Thor and I'm one of the co-founders and head of operations at Zybo. Zybo is a decentralized credit platform focused on eliminating high interest consumer lending, which is a market many people have never actually heard about, but it's a huge problem. In the US alone, 12 million people every year will take out a payday loan and these loans can have interest rates as high as 390% or more. And we don't believe anyone should be getting a loan at that high interest rate. So I'll pass it over to John to talk about himself and maybe talk some more about the project. Sure. Thanks. So I'm John, the head of technology at Apple Finance. And uh, my focus is primarily on building, designing the architecture of the protocol, implementing it. And I think Thor summarized it very well. We're a 
credit protocol, decentralized credit protocol focused on ending high interest lending, uh, specifically in the U.S. to begin with. So there's, there's a number of layers as to, to how Zybo is accomplishing this, but from a very basic technology point of view, we have a DAO. And this DAO can get capital to these different, we call them lockers. And essentially each of these lockers can have a certain focus. The first focus is, as we mentioned, ending this high interest lending. And one of the thing that fascinates me the most, there's two aspects to it. So there's the business side, what's being accomplished from a financial point of view. And then there's the technology side. And I will always speak the te to the technology side because I've been on the technology side for pretty much ever since I graduated and I've been in designing protocols for five, six years now. But this is an extremely modular, extremely flexible protocol. We can adapt to the needs of the many. As the market demand shifts to certain types of lending products that we want to launch, we have the ability to create these new variations of lending products and launch that at will. And I feel like what I've seen across the landscape over a number of years is very rigid versions, Uniswap V1, Uniswap V2, and they have very focused things that they're trying to do. Whereas we're, it's a DAO that has this capital there, but it can go out to all of these different places that can be new. They, we can introduce new ways to use that capital over time. But that's the most fascinating thing to me that I'd like to highlight about Zybo off the bat from the technology side. And I think a couple of that was a really great mission statement and it's, a, it's an excellent product. It's in the realm of regenerative finance. Refi is this new term that people are using. I don't think we ever even started out building it with the idea that we wanted to appeal or become like a refi regenerative finance type of product. It just so happened that this, because I've seen this pop up in the space and people are talking more about it more and more. I just, it just so happened that this started to pop up and here we are, we're building this. So that's been a bit of a serendipity as well. Yeah. So tell me a bit about regenerative finance. What does it mean? Regenerative finance. That's a great question. And Thor, I'm curious to hear what you think about it as well, because I'm going to give my definition. Yeah, and sure. I can... Maybe before we, we hop into that, Sam, I think if from a business perspective, I'd like to maybe briefly touch on how Zyvo actually accomplishes its mission of kind of taking on high interest consumer lending. So when we launch the protocol, we're going to have something called what we're calling right now, currently an initial tranche offering during which time liquidity providers can come to the protocol and provide liquidity in the form of stable coins in exchange for tranche tokens. And also they'll receive some ZEER governance tokens. Yeah. So ITO will require people to be KYC and will be followed all applicable rules and regulations. But once those kind of stable coins are in the DAO, like John mentioned, the DAO participants can vote to allocate that capital to lockers. And what we can actually do is we have partnered with kind of a socially conscious, traditional kind of consumer lending entity that has the ability to essentially underwrite service and originate consumer in the U.S. and they're licensed. And so the Zyvo protocol itself can then actually provide the capital to fund those loans. And so that is what we intend to do initially to begin accomplishing our mission. And so I think I'll let John talk a little bit about the regenerative finance, what that means to him. Yeah. And, and also actually, you just mentioned something really interesting too, that I, I do want to highlight because I think sometimes it's very quickly mentioned and then the value or importance of it should be highlighted. The idea of partnering with these socially conscious lenders that are these sort of off-chain entities, it's ultimately, and not to say that we're the only protocol doing it, but I think it's important to note that Zybo 
DAO is trying to accomplish yield through on-chain and off-chain mechanisms. So it's this hybrid way of generating yield. So we're certainly um, taking a lot of the DAO's capital and originating these loans, which will be used to support this refinancing of these high interest lending. And meanwhile, say we have a little bit of unused capital in the DAO, we can actually put that into a yield locker or something and generate a little yeah. bit of interest through on-chain yield mechanisms. And so that's, a, that's just like a small point, but actually very powerful that I think a lot of protocols might, might miss. Like one, pro one protocol may do one thing and then another protocol may do another thing, but to combine those yeah. two is, is really quite, but we'll regenerate. What regenerative finance kind of means to me is finance that sort of supports financial mechanisms and structures that support the regrowth of a society. So when we talk about the high interest lending market in the US, and there's a lot of numbers out there, and I'm sure I'll get some of these wrong, but it's around about a 70 billion addressable market yeah. in the US alone. If we think about that amount of capital being lent out at what percentage, average percent interest rate? Thor, do you happen to, is it 300% plus? The 390%, and at least for me on there, it's too, I think in the context of regenerative finance or credit kicking it back to John, what we are really trying to do is improve financial inclusion and credit access to people that had not had it before, because the UN and also actually the Federal Reserve of the United States have said on multiple occasions that access to credit is one of the biggest drivers of economic so if we it absolutely is. provide credit to affordable credit, especially to people that may have not had it before, I think it's a really big win in value add. So I'll let John continue to talk about what thanks for getting finances and how Zyba is going to make that happen. 70 billion at 300% APR. So that's 70 billion out there. And that has to, assuming no defaults, that's a, people have to come up with 210 billion to pay that back. Maybe my math's off. I don't know. Maybe it's 280. I don't know. That's an incredible amount of money that like, just imagine the sheer amount of people that have this weight, this burden of debt on them. And I will just say this, maybe you guys have, if you've ever been in debt, it's not a good feeling yeah. to know that you've got this, this liability hanging over your head and you have to have, it's so much different from paying rent or just your normal bills. It's this, it's this, if you don't pay it back, there's going to be massive penalties and it compounds too. It's really detrimental to people. And if you want to regrow a society, if you want people to be productive, you can't have massive debt lingering over their heads all of the time. Now, this is great for banks and payday lenders. This is fantastic for them and their income flow. But just think about the, instead of a person like really struggling in life and just, it, there's also like an emotional component to it that kind of holds them down. If they could, if they had a different life where they didn't have this massive interest on the loan, they put a refinance it. Ideally, they can be a little bit more productive. They can maybe take a little bit more, have a more leniency in how they conduct their life. Maybe they go out and they have to start another business or... It, it has happened. It has happened in the real world with Grameen Bank that won the Nobel Prize in 2006. And in Bangladesh, it pretty much changed the country. They gave loans of a few hundred dollars to women all around the country, like women who wanted to get on the economic ladder and be productive. And they could buy like clothes, sewing machines and equipment and start making textile and fabrics and stuff. And now it's one of the largest producers of, of clothing in the world. And it's pretty much, they've had like crazy eight, 10% economic growth for the last, I don't know, more than a decade. Their GDP has just exploded and it has happened. It's brought tens of millions out of 
poverty in that country because as you said access to capital it is or access to credit is it is one of the drivers of economic growth but that happened at the village level that happened at the at on the ground at grassroots level it's like how do you get to these people who want these because a there is an issue with education these 12 million people in us and in every country in the world there is a payday loan system in one form or another that is very predatory they are called like loan sharks it's, they are like really loan sharks it's like you get in really big trouble so a there is a issue with education because they the people who are taking these they don't understand how powerful compounding interest is especially at that high interest rate so how do you get to them how and most people even in us those who do take payday loans they take a payday loan in their like within the 3 mile or 5 mile radius of where they live it's like they only know that's what they've done they that's what they've seen their uncles and parents and everyone do so they fall in that so it's like how do you break that and introduce something some other options because i'm sure there are other options that even exist in but it's also an issue of education as much as and an issue of access along with other things so yeah how do you guys or how does zyvo plan to solve those or break through those things yeah happy to touch on that sam because i think those are actually really good points to begin with i think a lot of players actually people do understand the power of compound interest i think sometimes we don't give people enough credit for what they do know but i think the thing you have to think about in the us alone is that a third of the adult population cannot afford a thousand dollar emergency. So yeah. if you live in an area where let's say you need your car to go to work or you can't get to work, you don't have the access to public transportation maybe, and your car breaks down and you don't have mm -hmm. that money and you can't get it from friends or family and you maybe don't have the best credit score and you need capital like now. So you don't yeah. need a job. You're forced into a position where you have to turn to one of the others. And so whether or not you understand the kind of power compounding interest, you're in a position where it's okay, I either lose my job or I take out this loan and I worry about the compounding interest. So these are really hard decisions that people unfortunately have to make every day. And that is part of what we want to change. And I think part of the way of doing that is even just creating another option. Like I'm sure when these guys launched microfinancing of Bangladesh, for instance, people probably didn't necessarily believe in it or think it's possible. But I actually yeah. think when you give people a lifeline, they'll take it a lot of times. And they're really, people are very innovative and good about doing this. And I think to touch on your other point about um, kind of people getting payday loans within three to five miles of them. In the U.S. and other countries nowadays, most of the time people are actually getting those loans from online. And so the kind of misconception I think nowadays, especially payday lending, is that it's not as much people going down to the speedy cash or something on the corner yeah. and getting a loan. It's they're going on their phone and they're opening up an app and they're doing that. So I do think that kind of has changed a little bit. But in terms of how we intend to help deal with some of this stuff is I think education is important. But from a risk perspective or an underwriting perspective for Zyvo, at least the thing about the U.S. in particular yeah. and other countries, the probably reason we're maybe a little U.S. centric to begin with is because it is the biggest market by far. Absolutely the biggest 100%. market. Yeah. And also the thing with the U.S. market too is there's a lot of existing data actually to underwrite. Yes. Our partner, Consumer Lending Entity that I was talking about, they understand this market really well. And between kind of their team and ours, I think the very cool thing about our project is we have guys like John who have been in the DeFi space forever and John doesn't give himself credit. He builds a ton of other protocols like Maple Finance and helps build the initial architecture from that app. 
But we also have members on our team that have worked at the top high banks and that have worked in the consumer lending area. And so we know this area really well and without kind of getting too into it, because this is some of the stuff that is proprietary to us, at least. We believe we have a way to underwrite a segment of the people that would maybe traditionally go get these high interest payday loans at a significantly lower interest rate. So while unfortunately we won't be able to offer everybody a low yeah. interest rate loan, for instance, we do believe that we have the capability to help a large portion of that demographic get a significantly lower interest rate and beyond the path to a better financial future. Very cool. I have a question for John. Since you have, John, since you have so much experience in DeFi, what are some other innovations that you are really excited about in the DeFi space coming through? Because a lot of the things we use in 2022, a lot of them were made in the last <laughs> downturn, in the last 2019, 2020, like SushiSwap, Uniswap, a lot of them were made in that. And so I'm sure there are things in this downtown are being made in this beer market are being made that people will use in 2025, 2024 and so on. That's going to be really big. I'm super bullish about Zyvo, but apart from Zyvo, what are some other innovations that you are saying that you think are going to be big? Yeah. So specifically a part like kind of outside of Zyvo, and I feel we're being very innovative as well, but we can talk about what we're doing a little, little later, but maybe what interests me the most right now that it's not out and there are a number of people working on it and Vitalik had a, come out with a, he does amazing blogs and he talks about what he thinks is the most important thing, like what people are focusing on and, and what people should focus on. Yeah. Uh, and something that he's been talking about and it's with me is it's important to focus on the very primitives that we've got in place that are, they work but they could work so much better. And governance is like one of the really important things that I think is hurting the space right now. And it's primarily due to lack of options. So we talk about, hey, consumers not having options coming when it comes to credit. A lot of protocols don't have options when it comes to governance. There's a single form of governance really that's taken place, opens up and maintains it. It's called, there was like Governor Alpha, Governor Bravo, and now there's just like some opens up and governor basic contract that any protocol, any DAO, when they build it, this is what we're doing. It's a very complex thing. You can't, it's very difficult to reinvent something. But what happens is you have these DAOs that are highly governed by like governance tokens. And it falls into like over time, what happens is the concentration of the governance tokens condenses to a very few hands. And then you have the exact opposite of what you want a decentralized space. You want a bunch of people to come together and you ha have differing opinions and this optimizes the decision-making process, but it's been completely the opposite and it just comes down to three or four people making decisions. And this can work in some cases, but it's not the, it's not what DeFi decentralized finance really is about. And I think it holds the ecosystem back. Because people don't want to participate in a protocol that's governed by three or four people. They want to participate in a protocol that's governed by a large group of people. And they want to play a role in the governance of that protocol. I think there's a couple of different solutions that are, people are working on. And some of them will pan out. Some of them won't. But it, that, that really needs to be reevaluated. Just because if you think about capital inflow into the DeFi ecosystem, to me, that's one of the major blockers. Like people just aren't comfortable and there's a lot of investor confidence that's been diminishing due to these protocols that have trans transitioned into the high concentrated 
governance token ownership. That is such a good point. And I have seen this over and over again that over time things become centralized. They start with a good heart. They start with the right, I don't know, with the right aims and goals. But over time, everything becomes centralized and stuff. Even in, I like ENS and I like a lot of other projects and things like that. There's just the few whales who make the voting decision <laughs> whenever you have voting and things like that out <laughs> because they hold 200,000 ENS tokens or a half a million ENS tokens. And then all those people voting with one or two, they don't have the same weight, three tokens in their wallet. So five people have pretty much choose who gets the public goods grants or anything like that. To add on to that. So yes, that's a problem space that needs to be looked at. And But you asked, what are people innovating or what has come about that is super exciting? And I will say this, Flashbots through and through is the most advanced, exciting technology out there. And we're actually using it within Zyvo for, wow. for MEV mitigation purposes. This is a problem space. We can explain the problem space and talk about what technology solutions are actually available. So the problem space, and I'm going to say this, I, I am the problem. I was in the problem space for a while, <laughs> causing the problem. And that transition, people now have to look at flashbots and MEV mitigation now. When I say MEV, what I mean is minor extractable value. And that's just a really fancy word of saying, I'm going to pay gas to make a transaction on Ethereum. And whatever happens at the end of it, I better get more value out than I put in. And if, if that involved moving capital on chain or me paying a really high amount of gas to get in front of someone, front running them, I could do that. And people were doing that. They were, there's even something called sandwich attacks where they know someone is going to make a transaction in the next block. So they put a low gas transaction in, which will get processed after it, and then a really high gas transaction in to get processed before it. So they do something before it. They know exactly what's about to happen. Then they do something after it, and it's called a sandwich attack. And people were losing. If you look at Uniswap and the impermanence loss that was coming about it in the Uniswap V3, a good portion of that was because people were front running these transactions is incredible. And so what's come about as a technolo technological solution to that is something called flash private pools that you can submit transactions to, and they will be processed by these miners. It will go onto the Ethereum public blockchain. The transaction will go on, but no one will know that it's going to happen before it, because there's two things. So before a transaction can happen on Ethereum, it has to go into a pool. It's called yes. the public mempool. Yeah, yeah, I was going to call about the memory pool that don't you need access to memory pool and don't you need access to products like block native or something like that? Or you run your own node and you can see it. Yes. So yes. that's how most, that's how the advanced people, they run their own node and they have the most recent up to date. They're not going to a third party. It's a node yeah. on their computer and they can see exactly what's going on. But what's come about with Flashbots is a private mempool. Only you can place the transaction in there. And you do have to trust the people that are processing it so they don't front run it. Yeah. But this is, if they started doing it, you would know immediately and you would, they would just, you would never use their private mempool anymore. Their yeah. trust would be thrown out the window, credibility destroyed, and you would just go on to another group that has established credibility. It is a little bit of a trust thing. However, yeah. it's very easy to dismiss someone that's acting in an improper way. So this is fascinating because there were people out there that were just scraping hundreds of thousands a day off of just all these transactions going through, even like any in any way possible, like NFT minting, NFT arbitrage across different marketplaces, crazy complex stuff across various AMMs, 
and this was hurting liquidity providers. This was hurting average people trying to use the blockchain to just do standard stuff. And that's really shifted with the advent of flashbots. And this is getting to another point on what I think is really about Zyvo at a high level concept is capital efficiency. So you have to be efficient with your capital, like any kind of fund management, any kind of DAO that has capital, like you want to be efficient with it over a long period of time. So you can one, retain capital and two, you can grow it. Yeah. This is just standard for ensuring that the people involved have, you know, great returns and they're also not there aren't these group of MEV attackers out there just scraping off your trades and your transactions. Because we, as a DAO, we handle multiple stable coins that will be lent out. Most DAOs just have a single, but we have multiple. And when we want to convert between different stable coins, we yeah. can use solutions like one inch, which is the most efficient way to convert between stable coins. In fact, sometimes it's a little crazy, but sometimes the transit conversion rates are so good, we end up with more at the end of it. It it gives us the best order execution. It's incredible. And so it's great for capital preservation. And and two, we can interact with this one-inch system to trade between stable coins through flashbots. So no one knows what we're about to do. We just do it. We get the absolute best order execution. And then we can go forward and lend with those new coins that we converted into. So it's, it's very powerful. And this wasn't even possible a year ago. Flashbox is very new. MEV is even, it came about as a result, a response to to the MEV attacks that was occurring in the space. And holistically, it's great. And it's nice to be able to build something that addresses that. Well, that's, that's fantastic. I have a question now for Thor coming back to Zyvo. And what do you see as one of the biggest challenge or foresee as that would be one of the biggest challenges for Zyvo to solve? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things there. So I guess first off, at least for us, and we've been working on Zyvo now, I've had this idea for about a year and a half, two years, and we've had a lot of this build pretty quickly to understand actually how to build it. One of the things we've had to deal with, obviously, though, is the regulatory environment in the space is we're a project that is committed to being compliant in those areas, especially with the type of lending we're looking at doing that's something that's really important because we are subject to federal and also local regulations. And we're very committed to being compliant and we have internal counsel working on this as well as several outside law firms. So we're confident that we have a path forward that will allow us to be a compliant project, but that has definitely been a big headache. And then I think something else for us, at least is initially in our kind of version one, like I was mentioning earlier, we're partnering with existing consumer lending entities that are traditional fintechs and almost acting as a sort of capital for them and funding consumer loans that they originate. What we want to get to with Zyvo though, is actually building an automated uh, on-chain lender capable of lending directly to those consumers without having to necessarily rely on third parties to help us originate and service those loans. And at least for me, and this kind of goes maybe back to other questions too, in terms of exciting developments in the space, I've always been of the opinion that in order for DeFi to really grow, we have to get around the terrible wallet user interface because unless you have the time to put into this stuff or learn about it, it's really hard to self-custody your own tokens with kind of existing wallet solutions, especially if you're not someone like us where you're interested in learning about this stuff. Just to see some recent stuff in the space, so there's been some really exciting developments, I think, protocols like you don't money 
and I'm going to probably miss, mix the name up on this, but it's like Spritz Finance that actually have the ability pretty permissionlessly to convert from crypto into fiat and actually send those funds directly into a person's bank account or fund like a virtual debit card. And so for us, that is really important for where we want to go with our version two in terms of doing automated direct consumer lending, because we want to give consumers when they want to get a loan from Zyvo in the future, uh, a seamless experience that would be no different than going to any other kind of existing consumer lender that's out there. And so we almost want a, a web two basic front end that feels like a normal experience for them, but on the back end, have it be powered by our kind of blockchain based DAO. And so one of the things that's necessary for that is being able to essentially fund a consumer loan using assets that are on chain, but get that into fiat. So I think some of the developments there in terms of bridging the gap between TradeFi and DeFi are super exciting and are going to help us make that happen. Oh, that's fantastic. My next question is a continuation from what you were saying about the wallets. And that has come in past as well with some other people that I've been talking with as well. It's like, how do you improve uh, the existing wallets or what would you like to see in an ideal world? What should your digital wallet be able to do? I'll take that one. That's a great question. There's a number of different... So that progression of technology is incredibly early. I think one of the things that Vitalik was also talking about in terms of a problem space and what is drastically lacking is obviously just ease of use of setting up a wallet and using it. Obviously, if the basic problem that all blockchains face is if you set up a wallet in order to make transactions on it, you need the base currency. How do you go get the base currency? Then you have to buy some Ethereum, you have to buy some Avalanche, whatever, and put it into the wallet. And then you have to make transactions. I think that what I would like to say, continuing off of uh, what Thor was discussing and how we'd like to automate the, this loan origination is really to minimize the amount of interaction that the end user has with wallets and with blockchain assets. If we can create a system in which you've got your DeFi users over here who are trying to interact with the protocol and they're staking and they're claiming their rewards and they're handling governance decisions, et cetera. But you have the end clients who are they're sitting on their couch, watching some TV, they open up their phone and they fill out an application. And then a couple hours later they get approved and then they have this virtual debit card through another app on their phone that allows them to spend that money. And then when they have to go pay it back, they make payments on it. And then we have these external providers like Spritz who can perhaps take a fee out in a bank account and convert that to some on-chain assets somewhere else. That's really good. So what I think is most important is perhaps not trying to improve the existing wallet. Th this needs to be done, of course, 100% that needs to be done. But when you're building a system, keep in mind who the end users are and just minimize the interactions that they have to make that are unnecessary. If this, if some guy is just borrowing a couple thousand and he's watching some TV, he needs to get something for the net. I don't know. If he doesn't have to touch any blockchain assets, don't make him. It's, it, it is also, it, it falls on the onus of the people building the systems to make it easier for their end users. Yep. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. And I still think that whole DeFi is already a revolution. I cannot wait to see all these new innovations coming up. And the real thing happens when, oh, the real change happens when people start using it and it gets the network effect because that's one of the things that DeFi needs in a way. That, that's what I feel like, network effect. When everyone is using it around you, um, 
it completely changes how people use it and stuff. So yeah, what are your thoughts about, I know none of us have a crystal ball, but what are your thoughts about 2023? Are you optimistic about it? What do you see? Yeah, I could maybe give some of my thoughts and let John kind of hop in there. So I am, I'm pretty optimistic, actually. I think the last, obviously, six months or so have been a little rough for the space, but I actually think that's really good going into 2023 because I think we've washed out a lot of the bad actors uh, and so stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think 2023, my predictions, I think, is like you said, with network effects, right? And you were just kind of talking a little bit about that is in order to achieve those network effects like John was talking about, it just has to be a lot easier to interact with DeFi. And I think there's a lot of people working on, and then also the combination of real world assets to DeFi and really making DeFi usable or have a value proposition for the masses, so to speak, and not just financial institutions or kind of power users. So I think both of those things are gonna be really powerful. And I think we're finally going to begin to get regulatory clarity because I don't think the space can really have its moment or shine until there is clear regulation given that can allow projects to successfully launch without having to talk to bajillion law firms, everything else, and figure out how they can launch their project in a compliant manner. So those would be my thoughts. Yeah. What about you, John? What are your thoughts on the, on 2023? So I have, I'm very bullish on some things and I'm very bearish on some other things. So I'll start off with the positives. I'm very bullish on the utility, which we can extract from blockchain platforms. I say blockchain because I don't want to say just DeFi. I think there's a number of like third-party service providers that work in the realm of providing hybrid interactions, like on-chain and off-chain payment rails, conversions, things of this nature. I think that space will continue to grow. And I think pure DeFi protocols will continue to grow and innovate in the utility that they can provide. However, uh, us being one of them as well. However, there's a lagging effect in terms of the actual, how does that transition into boom in asset prices or a huge rally in crypto assets? And so the thing is, without diving into this, the macroeconomic backdrop that the entire globe is currently facing, yeah. it's not looking too good. It's looking a little grim. Yeah. Um, and that's has poured over into crypto and will continue to pour over into crypto. However, for crypto to really stand on its own and diverge from what other asset classes are doing, yeah, so in the realm of talking maybe like what, what's Bitcoin and Ethereum going to do, prices aren't looking too good. I think my forecast would be really quite poor, but I believe that the utility that they can provide, the value they can provide to individuals, the services and the technology, that's going to continue to grow. It's just like what we saw off the back of the 2017 rally where everything blew up. It was a monumental crash. And however, look at what we've got today. Look at everything that was built during that downtime, the cold crypto era. Uh, so I, I think that when we came out of it, when we came out of that and we went into, had all these new products and services available, this allowed a lot of people to adopt new platforms in the space and it allowed a lot of capital inflow. So where we're at right now in the current cycle, from my point of view, we're all building, we've got our heads down. We're not worried about all the chaos that's going on. We're just trying to build a great product. And then that will, that'll launch and people will start to adopt it. And then a couple of years down the road, then we'll see everything come back to life again because of what's available and the new services and technology. But we have to be the ones to go out there and build it. So 
Yes. Someone's got to do it. I have. I hope you've got five, ten more minutes. I've just got a couple more questions. I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm getting to learn a lot and I'm sure a lot of the audience is getting to learn a lot as well. I have a question around every cycle or every way of crypto. There is some new innovation that brings in millions of new people who had never experienced. You can call it blockchain, you can call it Web3, whatever you want to call it. And in 2021, it was the NFTs. It's back in 2010 with the first iterations of Bitcoin. No one would have thought that people will be using blockchain for trading JPEGs and or making profile pictures on Twitter and stuff. And for that's what it will be used for by millions around the world. It's a killer app. And then there was the, there's other things that have really massively helped in the adoption especially in developing countries and stuff. And that is stable coins. It's like people don't appreciate stable coins enough. And that is because I've been hiring people overseas and for the last many years. And initially they wanted to be paid in Bitcoin, but then it was slow. Then they wanted to be paid in, in Ethereum. And then, and now it's all just stable coin because everything else fluctuates. Stable coins don't. So they're going to be paid in USDC mostly. And if you look at the top 10 coins today by market cap, I think about four of them are stable coins, at least. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if those numbers continue to grow and their market cap continues to increase as a part of it because it is real case utility because I could never see people using Bitcoin for transaction because of the fluctuation. You cannot be a manufacturer and you cannot know that one day you are going to pay your supplier $1,000 and next day $10,000. You just cannot run a business if there's fluctuate, price fluctuation. And stable coins remove that. They gave that stability as well as the speed of transaction. You don't have to go through bank and takes a one week to move money to somewhere in from like from a developed country to a developing country. And so just like how NFT, stable coins, there have been some really big innovations that have brought millions into this world. What do you see as the next they what's going to bring in millions more people. I will give kind of two things and then hand it off to John. I think I've talked about it a couple of times now, but I really think BridgeFi and the ability to just seamlessly transition between kind of the blockchain and traditional finance is going to be huge. That is absolutely you really yes. kind of bring these two things together. And I think in the future, we'll even stop referring to as TradeFi and DeFi or just DeFi. Absolutely. And I think we're one of the projects that is on the forefront of doing that and bringing all the benefits of the blockchain crypto and kind of transparency everything that comes with it to the kind of real world quote unquote and then i think the other thing is i think free to play games are going to be huge i think whoever and there's a good podcast on like invest like the best i can make use talking to you but just a project that's working on a game where instead of having to pay for nft they actually just give them to you for free in similar manner to you know apex legends or something get yes. nfts that are in-game objects and then people can then actually sell those as some of them become more valuable the project will take like a royalty percentage of the sale as opposed to making people pay for nfts which I think that's just a better model because who doesn't yes. love something that's free and that it may eventually, you know, become worth a lot of money. So I think that'll be a big thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm super bullish about GameFi as well, as well as what you first said is on-ramp, off-ramp side of things. That is a big hurdle for a lot of people to get into this space, which you have mentioned. So yeah, I am, I'm quite looking forward to success of Zyvo. But John, any thoughts on that? So. That's a, it's a really interesting question to ask, what is the next killer app? What's going to come yeah, What's the next world? killer app? That's pretty much it is. Yes. And I am going to turn that question on its head and say, there is no next killer app. We have really ventured out. The last five years have been, 
has been an absolute explosion in all different directions, trying different things. One of the first things Thor said was bridge five. And yeah. so there, there is, yes, on-chain and off-chain ramps into a blockchain, out of the blockchain from the real world, but also interconnectedness between two blockchains or between all blockchains. And tons of different calls trying to accomplish this or zero layer solutions, let's call it, where they sit on all tops of the blockchains. And I swear on these newsletters I look at every couple of weeks, another bridge solution has blown up. Millions are lost. Oh hey, my I God. I was going to say that when you said bridge solutions, that like bridges get a bad rep for having yeah. the vulnerabilities and stuff. So to answer your question, don't think that we need to look for the next best thing, the next best killer app that's going to change or revolutionize the system. I think we have a revolutionary system. I don't think we've refined or optimized the technologies that are currently existing within those systems. And we really have to return back to the fundamentals, the basics of what we're building and try and tr just do it better. There's so many, there's so many things out there that, and I'm just going to say this, having been a developer on a number of projects and the general, in general, what happens when a company is trying to put out a new product is they build extremely quickly, like blazingly fast, no, no care or concern for how are they doing it better? What are the ramifications of it? They're just trying to launch something. This has been the ethos for years in, in blockchain. And what always happens is you just end up with this product that like, it does a little bit of something, but not nothing new or nothing innovative. It's just another slightly copycat or clone of everything. And so I think what needs to happen, and I think what is happening is we're going back to the basics, we're reviewing things, we're questioning why is it this way and trying to build something that's much better. And I think this will naturally lead to better solutions, whether it's lending and borrowing, whether it's governance of DAOs, because we've got these issues in the space that until they're resolved, will hold back the space incredibly. And a space can only grow based off the tools that it has to grow with. And so we need to build better tooling, better tool wallets, governance, all these things. And I don't know if we have to go out discovering something new, just doing something better. Yep, that's fantastic. And having said that, um, doing something better, I truly believe that Zyvo is onto something that is truly better. Um, to make Zyvo successful, what's your ask? What are you guys looking for next? Are you looking for... I don't know, team to hire, people to give it a try, sign up, newsletter, anything. Feel free to share whatever your ask is. Yeah, for sure. So we are, up to this point, we've been building pretty quietly. And this is one of the more first public things we've done. So we're definitely looking at people trying to get involved in the community. So definitely check out our Twitter at Zygo Finance and also our Discord as well and become involved in the community. And then up to this point as well, we have self-funded Zygo actually. And so... We are now going out for our first raise and we're looking to raise about 2 million US dollars at a 20 million US dollar valuation. And so we've also pretty recently kicked that off. And so that's something we're looking to hopefully wrap up here in the next couple of months. And then I guess the last thing I would leave it on is we are hoping, I think we should be able to meet this timeline is to launch the actual protocol in approximately six months. And then we'd love for people to come participate in the protocol. So I think I'll leave it on that. Fantastic. And what about you, John? Anything on the technical side that you are looking for? No, I think once it's launched, I think it'll be ready to move and groove and or summarized everything else quite perfectly. 
Oh, that's fantastic. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the links to, to Zyvo and all your social channels and everything underneath in the description, wherever this goes on 10 plus different platforms. So yeah, so do that and look, wish you best of luck for, I'd really like to see its success because I truly believe that it is transformational and it will change a lot of people's lives, especially those who are trapped in high interest, interest finance loans, pretty much all around the world, but especially as you say, in US, which, which would be the, one of the largest markets and stuff. Yeah. Best of luck for that. Awesome. Sam, thank you so much for the best wishes and for having us on. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. I had a real pleasure having this interview podcast. Now that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching this or listening to this episode of the web three with Sam Samani podcast. You know, the drill. Leave a comment, please subscribe or share it with a friend. Now, if you are building something really interesting in this space, then reach out to me. My DMs are open. I'm at Sam Kamani on Twitter or on LinkedIn or on TikTok or on any platform. Just go and search for my name. Reach out to me. I would love to help you. I would love to have a conversation with you. So having said that, I want to wish you best of luck to whatever you are building. I know that about 35 to 40% of my listeners are founders themselves. So I want to say best of luck and go build that next innovation.